Live from WCHL Studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, it's the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show. Tonight's episode features ESPN college basketball analyst Fran Fraschilla. Also, Thunder Sports Network co-author Rich Hallstrom takes a debate upon further review in our new Referee Rich segment. And now, Subamos el Calor es el espectáculo deportivo de la rivalidad entre hermanos. There are rules of war. In the aftermath of battle, there is a way to treat the defeated foe. There is a way to carry the victory. But we ain't doing none of that. It's back on again right here on Sibling Rivalry Sports with the Athletic.com senior college basketball writer C.L. Brown and yours truly host author of Thunder Sports Network, the book, and the Juice TV show. And we're going heads up like a pair of rabid Ramesses. What's going on, C.L.? <laughs> you always get me with these intros, but it's, it's good to be back for another week of Sibling Rivalry Sports, even... I, I, this is a message to the kids, man. This is a message to the kids. Sometimes your team will lose. The Steelers lost to the Ravens uh, last week, and you got to be big enough to accept that loss and come back. But they 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 play again. That's why yes. that's why I enjoy this. Even though sometimes when you lose that first one, you come back for the second one. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That's basically what they've been doing, you know. So, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I like that. That's classy. That's for the kids. That's for the kids and classy kids. Listen closely to that. All right. So, we're going to go into the big playback. This is the big payback. Yes, yes, yes. And this week's topic, it's an interesting one, sound coaching decisions with a question mark. So you would say it's sound coaching decisions? Make that right at the end there. Yeah, we're, we're going to find out. Let's go. Because, you know, this past weekend had a number of contests where people are wondering what the coach was thinking, why in the heat of it he made the decision and went this way or that. So we're going to talk about that right now. Let's start off with Penn State. Penn State versus Ohio State. The scenario was this. Fourth down and five, 122 left in the game. Penn State had the ball. They needed to keep moving. What say you, C.L.? I don't so much look at the one fourth and five. I look at the whole game, and there were situations where I felt like James Franklin just wasn't aggressive enough with the home crowd behind him, with the way uh, that they were able to move the ball. It, it just seemed like he allowed himself, he allowed his team to be in a position where they needed to make a fourth and five late in the game because of the things that they didn't do earlier in the game. I, I rarely try and look at a play in football, basketball, whatever. I rarely try and say it came down to one play. Now that is true about you. There's a series of plays that could have been made throughout the game. That's true about you, but we're looking at the one decision here. We're looking at the one play. So you, But you say it wasn't, it didn't come well, out. I'm saying, I'm saying that there were other decisions that I would question okay. before that rank higher than the actual play call on fourth and five. Gotcha. Well, you know, fourth and five, I will say this. I looked at it closely. Uh, you know, I reviewed what tape I had, and I got to say, that play almost scored a touchdown. That would have been a long run had one thing happened, and that is Chase Young, the Ohio State defensive end, he stunted inside, blew up all the blocking assignments. It wasn't even that physical. He was just fast. 
Had they been able to put hands on him and shove him a little bit and get him out of the way, that was clean running. The safety had taken off running the other way. We would have had a foot race. So, Yeah, well, I, I mean, that that was the thing that blew up that play. But I think there were a couple of occasions where Franklin chose to punt when he probably could have tried to go for it, especially the, the one right before the half. They're at the Ohio State 49, 20 seconds left. They had a timeout, fourth and one, and they punt. So, you know, I look at those situations. Uh, let's, let's move on to Louisville with Bobby Petrino up three, under two minutes left, the ball at Florida State's 21, and he throws a pass. Why? Why, Bobby? <laughs> What do you think about that? Five plays later, Florida State takes it to the house and wins 28-24. Yeah, wow. Um, Again, I tried to, you know, I'm no professional, so I don't know exactly what the strategy is or what have you. I tried to look closely as I could at the tape of the game and that type of thing. And he did have a, you know, a longer talk with quarterback Juwan Passes. He brought him to the sideline. And and one thing to Petrino's credit is he was not trying to berate and embarrass the quarterback. You could see he was flush, but he was calming himself down. But he was. It seemed like he was wording the words, uh, "Do uh, hold on or get get rid of the ball. Get rid of the ball." Out of your hands, type of a thing. So I don't know. Was that pa- the pass did appear late? That's a tough lesson to learn. That's a tough position to put that quarterback in. That's not Lamar Jackson. He's already moved on. He's in the pros with the Ravens now. As you love him, <laughs> as I love him, <laughs> you know. But it's it's also odd that in the press conference this week, uh, Bobby Petrino was asking. It was in Tim Sullivan's column. With the Courier Journal, got to give a shout nice. to the Courier Journal, where go. I spent 13 years. Uh, Petrino was quoted saying that I look back on it and I guess I should have run the ball. That that was his quote, which he still feels like he should have threw, should have should have been throwing in that situation, which is just the wrong move. You run the ball, you win the game, point blank. Period. What what was the point of passing other than being greedy? I don't know. I don't know. Why are you passing in that situation? CL, you down the ball, you win the game, right? First and 10, FSU only had two timeouts left. You down that ball twice. That game's over. So, I don't, I mean, the only thing I could think was maybe a national profile of being FSU, maybe those thoughts. What do you think? He has been somebody who's always been aggressive offensively. That's been his calling card. Even to the point, some might say, especially back in the past, during his first tenure with Louisville, running up to score on people. Kentucky especially. <laughs> that's That's been well documented. But I mean, I... I I guess that's what it is. I have no explanation for this. None. And and they really needed that win. Um, they've been struggling this year. I, I feel like his young quarterbacks needed the confidence, especially Pass, who went from being benched for Cunningham to back playing more. And you put him in a bad position, and, and who knows what the ripple effects are going to be now after that. True. Same I say for the Indianapolis Colts, who uh, watched – Frank Reich, their head coach, go for it on fourth down in their own territory in their overtime loss to Houston. Fourth down and four, their own 43, 27 seconds left. But I, I will say this. They always do that. But I will say this. Okay, here I am again. Frank Reich, I've been a big fan of his ever since he came back from 35 down. I was watching that game live, 35 down against Houston Oilers back in the uh, 1993 playoffs. 
that was incredible. So I've always liked him. I've liked his thought process. Now he was a quarterback then. Now he's a coach. I, perhaps he was trying to send a message to the team, we can do this. They had been passing extremely well that game. Chester Rogers, the receiver that it was going to, he had been playing a great game. The ball was well thrown. I, I don't know. Maybe his thought was, we make this. We keep going. We can try to win this thing instead of just, just bowing down to a tie. And the other thing he might have been thinking was, my defense can hold up. Neither of which came through for him. I feel like the thread in all three of these situations is the coaches underestimating the time in the situation. And Frank Wright, you can make that call, but not in overtime. You know, a, a different point in the game or or a different part of the field. If you are in Houston Texans territory in overtime and you're fourth down from the 43, you can go for it. And then you can put your defense... It, it's still a tight spot, but it's not as tough as only needing to give up like 10 yards for a field goal attempt, for a reasonable field goal attempt. So, you know, some of these coaches are earning their way onto the hot seat, I would say. Uh, I think Bobby <laughs> Petrino, is, is, his seat is really getting warm in, in Louisville. Obviously, I wouldn't say the same about Penn State's uh, James Franklin, but... You know. Wait now, wait now. How did James Franklin misunderstand the time? Not fourth and five. Not that play. The other plays during oh, the game. Oh, okay. Especially, so, I go back to right before the half. Right. Keep your foot on the pedal. The, but, the first but drive of the game. That's not him, though. Keep that is not. Him, that's not him. He is more disciplined and and hey, I'm gonna stick with what's got me here. He's not. Let me gamble. That's not him. Is that a gamble? Fourth and one from the 49 with 20 seconds Obviously, left he half. thinks it is a gamble. Obviously. I mean, Anytime you go for fourth down, would you admit that's a gamble? Anytime you go for fourth down. It depends. Uh, I don't I don't think. It, it's, it's, it's like there's relativity in all of this. Like it's, you know, it's like playing blackjack as opposed to playing <laughs> roulette. You got you to gotta give yourself the best odds in a situation. So, okay. you know, well, I mean. I, I just I disagree with how he managed other parts of the game. All right, fair enough. And I tell you what, the best odds right now are for us to cut to a break so we can listen to some of the offers that our friends have who help us stay on the air. So let's do that. And then we're going to come back because we've got great guests for you, starting with ESPN's coach Fran Fraschilla right here on Sibling Rivalry Sports 97.9 The Hill. We have a very special guest joining us tonight, Fran Fraschilla, former head coach of Manhattan, St. John's in New Mexico, currently serving as an analyst for ESPN, who, when he's not breaking down college basketball, specializes in scouting international talent for the NBA draft. How are you doing today, Fran? CL, I'm doing great. I really am. It's basketball season, so I'm, you know, it's, it's our time of year. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, you know, I don't think before we go into the current stuff that's going on, I don't think I've ever asked you. But how how did you get so ingrained with international scouting? Because you know, people will be watching the draft, and they'll somebody will get drafted. Mm-hmm. Most fans have never heard of from a country most people can't even point to on the map, and you'll have the yeah. entire rundown like you've been like eating hoagie sandwiches, staking out <laughs> where the guy lives. Yeah. 
Well, I've been I've been lucky. I'll make it quick because I know we want to talk about other things. But being a lifelong basketball junkie, having grown up in New York City, um, I, I've always been interested in everything that involves a game of basketball. And from having a former uh, one of my players at Manhattan College was from Spain. We took our team over there one year and brought him back home. Another former player of mine uh, was an NBA scout and executive for 15 years, and and really. Uh, uh, probably the most preeminent uh, until he retired um, NBA scout as far as internationally and uh, he ran a camp called the Euro Camp in Treviso, Italy. It was sponsored by Reebok at the time, about 2003-2004 and so I went over there and right at that time ESPN asked me uh, hey, as long as you're going over there do you want to do the NBA draft for us? Would you like to do the international guys? And I got hooked and I wound up coaching at that camp for about 12 straight years, Um, 50, 60, 70 guys made it to the NBA out of that camp. We're talking about Serge Ibaka and uh, Goran Dragic and and so many others, Uh, Ricky Rubio, Danilo Gallinari, and and that's how it happened, you know, and just by osmosis, I became uh, a guy that fell in love with international hoops, and to bring it all back full circle, when you watch the college and NBA game right now and you see what uh, Mike D'Antoni's done in Houston with the seven seconds or less that he first brought to the Suns, I mean, mm-hmm. the global game has shrunk because we now steal from each other. You oh, see yeah. that elements yeah. of coaching from international basketball in both the NBA and college games. So, you know, the, world, the world's grown smaller when it comes to that little orange ball. Indeed, indeed. Right. Now, uh, now let's let's talk domestic affairs. <laughs> right yeah. now, we have the uh, the U.S. versus Gatto and and uh, Merrill Cold and Christian Dawkins also named as defendants in this trial. The first of several that stem from the FBI's investigation into college basketball corruption. Um, I wanted to to ask you, what's your take on where this trial is going to lead us? Because you know. Way back when it was first announced, the FBI comes out, and I felt like kind of made, you know, they were grandstanding, if you ask me, saying, we've got your playbook and yeah. this and that. But uh, so far, not a lot has happened. So what, what, what do you feel like is going to actually come out of this trial? Well, I think we're all trying to figure that out. You know, it, it would looked like last a year, a year ago, right at this time, I was going to be a... Uh, you know, the blowing up of college basketball looks like it's uh, that certainly hasn't happened. Uh, I think the interesting thing I'm going to be watching from this trial is when it's all said and done, how the NCAA, because of new regulations that allow them to use, you know, uh, evidence in a criminal trial outside of the NCAA's purview can be used as evidence for the NCA about certain schools and, and coaches. So um, once this trial's over, and I, I think I read that the FBI has asked the NCA to stand down right now when it yeah. comes to a lot of the investigating going on, I'm going to be anxious to see if the information and the evidence that, uh, that the feds have will be turned over to the NCAA and then can the NCAA use that in terms of their investigations of schools and coaches? If that's the case, then I think the federal trial will probably end with a whimper, and it'll be incumbent upon the NCAA to take the evidence and, and you know prosecute as they see fit. Yeah. I will say this as someone that is a, a adamant about cheating. 
um, the risk reward uh, for head coaches at the highest level still remains such that from what I hear from my friends in the business, you know, a lot of the stuff we thought might be cleaned up is still going on. So, and that's because no major head coach other than Rick Pitino has really been, you know, ensnared in this investigation so far. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like the only reason he got, uh, he ended up being dismissed from Louisville was because of that was on the tail ends of other things. It wasn't just this investigation. But um, I agree. So, so in addition to that, when when you were comparing it to the '90s and comparing it to to yeah. you know 20 years ago, would you say right. anything has changed in terms of of the seediness, the seedy part of of college basketball recruiting? No, I don't think so. But I also think that it's uh, you know you're talking about 351 schools, and obviously most fans only care about the top 50, yeah. and and certainly inside that subset of Division One. You know, the way recruiting has gone forever, and I'm talking about 40, 50 years, um, it's just part of the landscape. You know, uh, I happen to have friends who I would suspect, not I don't have proof, probably, you know, don't play by all the rules. And then I have other friends that I suspect uh, do. And, and um, you know, uh, I'm, out, I'm out here at Gonzaga University right now with, with uh, Mark Few and I'm fairly certain that they run a very, very clean program. We had a long discussion yesterday about how some things have not changed. Mm-hmm. And it's just the way it is. I mean, it's just how, how college basketball has been for a very long time. And, um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, there'll be fans that say, well, so what if you give a kid a few thousand dollars extra or, you, you know, you take care of his family or whatever. And we can have that moral debate all night long. But as long as the rules are in place, um, when one guy's cheating, another coach is losing his job. Oh, yeah. You know, because sure. if you're not willing to keep up with the Joneses, and you're, you're not going to win as many games, and you're going to eventually lose your job. So the discussion about what we should do for players outside the, the college scholarship is a healthy one. But given the rules right now, um, you know, there's not always the level playing field. But having said that, I think most of college basketball – um, is in a good place, actually. I really do. I think that the you know the game is as popular as it ever has been, and um, you know there's obviously going to be issues no matter how the rules change. Yeah. Speak, speaking of a good place, I wanted to put you on the spot um, here here locally for the teams that are of interest. Uh, a, a couple yeah. of uh, a few high powered, high highly talented freshmen are coming to the campus on in Chapel Hill and in Durham. Um, so I wanted to get your take on who, what, which freshman you think will have a bigger impact on his team this year: Duke's R.J. Barrett or North Carolina's Nasir Little. Yeah, it's a great question because I expect both of those guys to have great years. Obviously, let's take R.J. first. Uh, given the fact that Duke is perpetually young, uh, you would expect both R.J. Barrett, Barrett and Zion Williamson to have really, really monster years. The little evidence we saw in August on their trip to Canada, which was essentially versus low major level talent, mm-hmm. both young men dominated offensively. And uh in some ways, I think Zion's, uh, and I watched all the games, Zion's performance was actually even more impressive just because um, uh, we've seen RJ for so long. We know his strengths. Uh, 
Uh, he does have a couple of hiccups. He's got to work on a shot. But I thought Zion was just uh, transcendent. I mean, yeah. it's hard to imagine a better athlete coming into college, um, you know, maybe honestly, CL in the last 15 years. Yeah. So I'm anxious to see how both of those young men play for Duke. And then Nasir, I think, is going to have a major impact at, at Carolina. And, but it's a little bit different for him because when you look at that roster with Kenny Williams and Luke May and and Cam Johnson when he gets back healthy from hip surgery and you know Robinson and the, the, the three-headed monster up front, the three sophomores, um, I think Nasir is going to have a great impact and certainly going to be one of the you know top freshmen in the country, but he's not going to be asked to do as much, mm-hmm. even though he may be Carolina's most talented guy. So all three of those guys I think are going to have great moments and uh, obviously right now they're all projected to be top five picks, so I'm anxious to you know, see them all play uh, here in the next few months. Coach Fran, Chris here. I, I want to first of all just say that I'm going to call you coach. I, I just you emanate yeah. that yeah. presence of a coach. And if you had only one non-winning season and nine seasons as a head coach, and that was only about one game in your first year, that is first a, year at St. John's. There you go. That's a coach. A little bit of a rebuilding year, but we we got it going. Yeah, you got it going. You know, so uh, that's some <laughs> excellent coaching. Um, could you could you help me with uh, just a, a little rumor here? Your your wife used to be a publicist for LSU and the Southwestern Conference. And is it true? I'm sorry to put you on the spot yeah. like this, but is it true yeah. that you found yourself making up media requests in order to be near her, like the Candlelight <laughs> Conference, the Rose Press Conference uh, release, or the uh, yeah. The one-on-one Hall and Oates interview. That's my favorite. One-on-one, I wanna Let me tell you a great story. Let me tell you a great story. When I was coaching at Ohio State for Gary Williams, we had a we had two great recruiting years when I was there, and it included guys like Jimmy Jackson, who had a great career, Chris Gent, who you know played in the NBA, won a championship ring, but. Uh, I think it was my second year at Ohio State, so it had to be 1987. I was dating my wife, and she's a Dallas girl, and of course I'm a New Yorker. We met in Ohio, Mm -hmm. and uh, we had a a monster recruiting class. So, uh, and Gary Williams didn't really care much about recruiting. He left it up to the assistants, and I was sort of the lead assistant in terms of recruiting. So, we got a letter from a young man from Arlington, Texas. His name was Jamal Brown, and. Uh, Gary put it on my desk one day, and apparently Jamal's family moved from New Jersey to Arlington, Texas, and wasn't really getting a lot of attention. And uh, and I usually, when you get these letters, you don't really think much of it. But uh, the, most of our recruiting was done, and I needed a trip to Dallas during the season to see my wife. So I told <laughs> Gary, I think I'm going to go see this kid, Jamal Brown. <laughs> well, before I, before I went down there, I told my, my then-girlfriend uh, to go over to watch him play it was about a week before I made my trip, and let me know what she thought. She called me, you know, the next day and said, "I'm not sure, but I think he's pretty good." So I went down to see Jamal, really under the guise of uh, recruiting, but really I wanted to see my girlfriend. <laughs> well, Jamal turned out to be a guy that we signed out of Arlington Sam Houston High School, and all he did was start four years at Ohio State. Nice. Played in the backcourt with Jimmy Jackson and Mark Baker, who also played in the NBA. And uh, and won two Big Ten titles. So uh, 
my my now wife of 30 years believe it or not that's was awesome. responsible for one of the for one of the key pieces of a, a great ohio state team back in the early 90s you, you may have to take her for some of those international scouting trips <laughs> let her chime <laughs> hey, in we've on. done that we've already done that <laughs> nice that was a very successful recruiting trip you not only recruited the player you recruited your wife so that's pretty awesome exactly right hey yeah, qu- we got it done question we're talking a little bit about Carolina here and I have a kind of a different question KJ Smith the son of Carolina legend Kenny Smith is in the house and I just could you speak to kind of you know he's a little bit of an underdog but could you speak to the power of a bloodline and the benefit of a bloodline having somebody who's been there who's been under the bright lights on the biggest stages and and him being able to mentor his son and bring him up how will that help K.J. Smith in this setting? Well, it's a great question, Chris, and let me give you a little history. Um, I ran the first three years of the Under Armour Steph Curry camp out up in Oakland, and Steph was uh, his hands-on all the way, and uh, and maybe it was year one or year two, I can't remember, but K.J. was a, ca- a camper. And when I say camper, we had 20, 20 really good you know, high school guards, and, uh, and, and right off the bat, let me tell you, he's a, he is a great young man. Um, he really is. He's very impressive. He's humble. Um, you wouldn't know he's Kenny Smith's son by the way he comports himself. And at the time, I thought KJ would be a really solid, like mid-major, you know, player. And now I've, I've read the stories about him deciding he wanted to, you know, go to school where mom and dad went. And uh, and so now, um, not having seen him play in a couple of years, the first thing I can tell you is the young man a great poise. Uh, the other thing I would tell you is, given that roster and the fact that the point guard spot is still a little bit of a question mark, um, and they don't need a guy to be uh, you know, a major scorer from that spot. And I, and I know Seventh Woods and Kobe White are going to get the opportunities, but uh, KJ is going to be a nice piece of, of Roy Williams' puzzle. Now, whether he's a role player for the rest of his career um, – or he gets a chance to play a little bit more. And the one thing I know about Carolina basketball through the years, and by the way, I, I was a counselor at Dean Smith's basketball camp uh, just awesome. way too long ago to even tell you guys. <laughs> that's but, still uh, awesome. So I, so I, and by the way, my roommate one year, believe it or not, we were college sophomores with some guy named Calipari. <laughs> I don't know whatever happened to him, but uh, but so I'm anxious to see how KJ does. But I know this: he's a great young man, and. Uh, through the years, there have been players who weren't heavily recruited that ended up on Carolina's roster that wound up making uh, you know, a significant impact. Uh, uh, the young man just a few years ago, and I, um, you guys will remind me who it is, uh, uh, he went on a Mormon mission uh, from Wilmington. Oh, Stillman uh, White. I know he put yeah, yeah, exactly, and uh, you know Scott Cherry and, and kids like that. So I, I would rule out the, the chance that K.J. could make an impact. Nice. Indeed, indeed. Hubert Davis, too, <laughs> on staff. Um, Hubert Davis, a great recruiter. example, yep. Yeah. That was a favor to his Uncle Walter, and look what happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, wow, Fran, you, you blew us away. This was a great uh, was great terrific. 15 minutes. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us today, and definitely if you uh, come through for uh, a game in the triangle, we're going to have to get you in studio. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Anytime, CL. Chris, it's a pleasure. And uh, call me during the season. We'll talk some more college hoops. Thank you, Coach. Thank you so much, Coach.
on back in to the backyard brawl inside the fence here at Sibling Rivalry Sports 97.9 The Hill. We got a segment now that is a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to it. It's going to star Rich Hallstrom. Rich is a freelance sports reporter, 30 years worth of covering big-time sports out in Seattle, Washington. And if you've been out there and been Pacific Northwest, you might have seen his work on Inside the Seahawks television show, Inside the Seahawks publication, University of Washington coverage, lots of different things. But the most of the most important of all to me personally is that he is my co-author for Thunder Sports Network, the book. So Rich is in the house. Rich, welcome aboard hello chris and hey cl good to be with you guys good to have you rich appreciate you uh serving as referee we we probably needed you when we were kids man somebody to to jump in between to to penalize chris on his his <laughs> his many uh misdeeds <laughs> well i've got the uh i've got the yellow flag in my back pocket today so uh we'll get ready and uh We'll have a good time. I just want to go ahead and pre-report that CL plans on throwing the flag back. So, you know, whatever. Can you pre-penalize him for that? or Only when it? needed. <laughs> well, as you know, Chris, I have the right hook in my back pocket also. He, he actually is the right hook from the left coast, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to refer to him as that. And the book, uh, get the subtitle of the book. I've never given the subtitle, I don't think, on air. What is the subtitle of the Thunder Sports Network, Rich? How a con man and a cripple wound up on the sideline of the super. Lots of great stories in there and and kind of centered around an appearance at the Super Bowl, which C.L. Brown was, he was present, and he's in the book. We talk about that, you know, what his role was. I remember, I'll never forget interviewing him from the stands. So I was standing, you know, he was in the lower level of the stands, and, and we had a cameraman on the field shooting up at us. And that, that was just a really interesting setting right there. You remember that, C.L.? I do fully, fully enjoyed that. I was wearing my Antoine Randall L jersey, <laughs> cheering on the Steelers. Glad that, uh, glad that they brought it home. Back when you used to be a Seahawks fan, but we're not going to get into that. Oh yeah, that's okay. I, you know, I don't mind at all getting into that that pass, but that might be sensitive with our ref though. See Rich. Yeah, if we're going to get if we're going to get into that, we're going to get into uh, Ben Roethlisberger's supposed first touchdown during that game. <laughs> actually, actually, I, I thought you were going the other way. I thought you were going to penalize Chris before the game actually started for for changing his his uh, loyalties. I think well, that deserves I'll a flag. <laughs> See, this is how you work the refs, folks. Well, on those on that. On that kind of thing, I'm just gonna let God deal with that. <laughs> oh my God! Oh wow! So I was I going against God, God when I changed my team. Look, I changed my loyalties from the Seahawks to my wife that I met over here, and I'm not gonna be flying back out there. So I had to get a team closer, and it happens to be a team that resonates with my very soul. So you know, I'm gonna go with oh, that. Oh my God! My God! My God! <laughs> All right, look, let's Rich. Let's tell everybody what Referee Rich is. Referee Rich is a segment where we go heads up. We take different topics, and we just. Go Go heads up, quick hit responses to these topics, and then referee Rich will judge who had the best response. And he is free to throw flags. If there's a flag to be thrown, he will throw a flag and call a penalty or do what he's got to do. And I'm sure that if all things are fair, I will come out on top. 
Wah, wah, well, wah, must, wah, wah. well, you must be wearing rose-colored or Carolina-colored glasses today, Chris. Wait a minute. How, how is that possible when we haven't started yet? We haven't even started, and you're saying that just my optimism is how is that? That's a flag on you. Referee Rich, okay, I'm going to go ahead and flag you. I'm going to flag this. I'm going to send this this recording to the league. Yeah. Let's jump into the questions. What do you have for us first, Rich? Question number one, gentlemen. Is there reason for optimism with UNC football? I would say yes. There is always reason for optimism with anything, but specifically with the UNC football, I think we got reason for optimism. First of all, the defense can improve. They've shown improvement. They showed versus Cal that they can tackle and they can stop the run if they focus on it. Number two, Chaz Surratt is back, and he had 69 yards rushing against Miami, a stout Miami team, but he ran so boldly against those guys. I, I really liked what I saw. Yes, he's got rust that he needs to work off in the passing game, but I like what I saw, and he's going to work out that rust. And then the run game, in general, Williams, Brown, and Carter, that's a good triumvirate of running backs. I think we can get back to scoring when we get to an easier stretch in the schedule. Right now, it's brutal. I'm trying to think where where's the easy part of the schedule coming. Virginia Tech isn't going to be easy. Brutal. Syracuse is way better than, than probably uh, anyone gave him credit for. Uh, to, before the season start, true. Uh, the only two games that I see Carolina will be favored in uh, to close out the season is Georgia Tech and Western Carolina. And uh, I mean, to me, it's looking like another three-win season. I mean, you mentioned Chad Surratt as a reason for optimism, but I would be very—I'd be lukewarm at best on that because four completions against Miami, three interceptions. That's not obviously going to get it done. That's rust. Rust. No, that's a broken radar from a quarterback. <laughs> Watch it. What say you, referee Rich, who won that, if I had to ask, you know, who won that? Uh, let's just get on with it. Unfortunately, Chris, I'm going to have to say CL, his point about the schedule, the schedule plays a huge part in college football. I got to give it to CL. Sounds good to me, Rich. Not to me. All right, let's move on. Topic number two. Is Clemson now going to regret the Kelly Bryant situation? I'll start off on this one, and I say no, because Trevor Lawrence beat out Bryant to begin with. I mean, that, that was fair and square. It's about competition. It's not about I was a starter last year, so I should continue being a starter this year. It's about competition uh, within your staff, within your roster. Secondly, redshirt freshman Chase Bryce came off the bench when Lawrence got injured last week against Syracuse to lead the comeback victory. So... Even though he's a redshirt freshman and not very experienced, he just proved that he's capable of getting the job done. So they still have a one-two punch. They lose experience, obviously, but they still got a potent one-two punch. He's capable at home of being a system quarterback and going to who they tell him to go to and having an advantage over Syracuse that just couldn't come down there and finish off a game. That's what he's capable of. Yes, they are going to regret the Kelly Bryant situation. They already regret it. They already regret it. Now, did you say how? Yeah. Because because Lawrence gets hurt. Lawrence already is hurt. And now they're thinking, oh, no, we we are in big trouble. Now, so, yes, the freshman, the redshirt freshman bailed them out. 
that's not going to happen every time. And let's not act like Lawrence is out yeah, of the Lawrence ain't going to get let's hurt not, every let, time. Let's, uh, Lawrence, is, you're acting like he's 100% healthy. He still he's has something. back in practice. That's okay. That means nothing. He wears, he wears that red thing on his head. They don't touch him. That means nothing. He may or may not play. We'll see. Did they and lose? Can we get a flag on offsides right now? Because this boy is jumping all over my stuff. <laughs> Where is the flag, Rev? Where is the flag? The flag is still in my pocket. I'm going to let you guys joust a little bit. <laughs> it's going to be me and you jousting. <laughs> all right, well, that's it. What do you say, Referee Rich? I say I got to give it to CL once CL once again. Very very sound argument. Very very sound arguments, and they may have lost the experience, but they had the proper guy to have a, as a backup quarterback, a guy who got experience, a guy who Sweeney is not uh, has shown any lack of confidence in. Next man up theory works for Clemson. How is four and a half games experience? Okay. All right. We got to move on. This is going to be the last one. Let me go for the clean sweep. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is the best team in the NFL? I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs in this one. Right now, they're 4-0. Three of those wins have come on the road. We're seeing Patrick Mahomes in in year two, but really his his breakout uh, so far He's playing lights out. I mean, this is the kind of he's having a kind of special season that you just don't see young quarterbacks just come out of the blue, which that's what it seems like he just came out of the blue and have. And when we had Bucky Brooks on, he talked about that arm talent. This guy can make every throw. I'm going with Kansas City because those road wins in the NFL, it's like winning one and a half games and they're already three and oh on the road. Okay, you know, I I agree. I love that arm talent of that guy. He is a lot of fun to watch. And I would say this. I'm going to go ahead and publicly say this. I guarantee that Kansas City is not the best team and won't wind up the best team. They're not even going to get a chance to wind up the best team because they are not going to the Super Bowl. They won't. not, Not only will they not win it, they're not going. They are not going, okay? They are 32nd on defense. But let's let's switch it to the positive. The positive is Baltimore Ravens. Now, listen, I'm not just saying that because saying that. I'm not just saying that because any team, you tell me a team that can go into Pittsburgh with that offense and with how Connor at running back has been playing with, and with hold them. Can we get offsides? Can we please? <laughs> Can we please get an offside ref? Come on, help, help this, a brother this out. This must be how Steve Smith feels. I'm just getting in his head, Rich. That's all. I'm help not a doing brother. anything. <laughs> help a brother out. All right, so he got back into the neutral zone. He got back into the. He got back out of the neutral zone. Okay, fair enough. So listen, listen. The, the Baltimore Ravens went and helped Pittsburgh to one touchdown in their house and 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 beat them. Handily in their house, and that, that that is why not it's defense, not only offense. We're seeing a lot of offense in the league this year, but defense. The Ravens are ranked second. The Jaguars are first for now because they play the sisters of the poor Jets, you know, and they don't have to play anybody. But you know, we we face Roethlisberger and Co. and and the best wide receiver in the league, A. B. And we came out on top. A. B. only got us one good time. That's it. So hey. Hey, I say that team that plays defense like that and plays offense like that, Flacco top 10 quarterback, is the best team. Rich. Gentlemen, 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 I'm going to have to throw the flag on both of you because you've completely ignored the Los Angeles Rams. And how dare you (laughs) ignore the Los Angeles Rams with 
perhaps the best defensive player in the league in Aaron Donald. How dare we? Khalil Mack is on line one for you, Rich. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Khalil Mack was smart enough to get out of get out of Oakland. Let's see if he's smart enough to lead the Bears anywhere. You you can have players like that, but you have to have the coordinator who can consistently do it. And I personally am not the big believer in Wade Phillips in that way. Obviously, he's a talented man. I'm just saying that and that and Jared Goff does not scare me at all. Even though he's got three great receipts, he doesn't scare me. So that's that's my reason. Well, I'm gonna just flat out. I'm gonna just flat out tell you, Chris. And if I could throw two flags on you, I would. <laughs> I would rather have Jared Goff as my quarterback than the head case Joe Flacco. Well, Whoa. okay, all right. We can, we can say that, but one of them has a Super Bowl championship, and the other has what? Did he win anything in college? Did he win anything before college? Like, what does he have? Okay, I'll give you that. I'll take you on that. But we gotta, we actually gotta roll out what, CL? You, no, I'm... we we gotta roll out as as we really get the fisticuffs going. Unfortunately, we have to we have to go to cut to a commercial. The people that allow us to be on the air. So, Rich Hallstrom, thank you so much. You can find him at MWP Radio Man on Twitter and also at Thundersports.com. Find out things about his life and bio. Oh, Rich, he also appears every Friday on uh, KGNW Radio uh, in, in Seattle as part of their sports table coverage. So look him up there too. Rich, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. We're back here on Sibling Rivalry Sports only to tell you goodbye. It's been a great show. And again, I just want to point back, CL, to the very beginning, your message to the kids about being able to accept a loss, man. I, uh, my heart goes out to you, CL. My heart goes out to you. Well, to the adults, I'm about to jump him when he turns his back and we're leaving the studio. <laughs> Why has it got to be when I turn my back? Huh? That's a flag right there. Where's referee Rich when we need him? I'm going to chase him down for this, this next little fracas. But uh, for First of all, let's go ahead and say thank you for joining us. I am Chris Brown. I'm C.L. Brown. And this is Sibling Sibling Rivalry Rivalry Sports on WCHL 97.9 The Hill.